Hello, and welcome to Better Sex. I'm your host, Matthew Chambers. Each episode, I aim to have conversations with culturally and spiritually engaging guests. Some you'll know, and some you won't. Some you'll agree with, and some you won't. But hopefully all of us will come away challenged. Hopefully all of us will come away a little bit wiser. Hopefully we'll seek and find. Perhaps a more empathetic view of humanity. Maybe a more expansive view of spirituality. Or maybe a deeper view of how to navigate the life we've been given. You know, I'm still learning my way around this whole podcast business. So please bear with me as I figure out microphones and sound and levels and making sure the Wi-Fi works properly the entire time. These conversations are absolutely worth it, I promise. Well, today I'm thrilled to welcome as my very first guest, Father James Martin. Father Martin is a Jesuit priest living in New York City. In addition to his pastoral duties, he's a New York Times bestselling author of books like Jesus of Pilgrimage, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, and Between Heaven and Mirth. He is the editor-at-large for America Magazine, and you may have caught his interviews through the years on networks like NPR, PBS, and Fox News. But I personally began following his work after seeing several of his encounters with television host and notable Catholic Stephen Colbert. In 2017, Pope Francis named him Consultor for the Vatican Secretariat for Communication. And in 2019, Father Martin met privately with Pope Francis to advocate on behalf of a more compassionate and communal posture for LGBTQ Catholics around the world. He is a true teacher and shepherd. He cares deeply for the marginalized and minority groups within our society and the Catholic Church, and is fascinated by the life and journeys and person of the historical Jesus. Now, sit back, relax. I hope you enjoy Better Sex. Well, uh, Father Martin, thank you for joining me today. I'm so grateful for this time. I, to be honest with you, when I sent a note on Facebook of all places to your Facebook page, I really, I didn't know what to expect back. You know, some, because I have friends in different places, but you just never know who's going to come back. And so when I got the note that you had agreed to do this, I, it sort of made my whole week. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. I'm happy to be with you. Um, I followed you for a little bit. And I, um, I think my pension is really to follow people that tend to be, whether they, whether it's intentional or not, people that tend to be a lightning rod in particular sectors of society. So, um, but really I got to know you, uh, from Stephen Colbert's stuff. I really, my favorite conversation with him was when he popped by the America mag, uh, offices in full beard and you guys yeah. sang old hymns and I, yeah, I, that was fun. Those are my favorite kinds of conversations, really. So I, I, I have some questions to talk through, but I, I'm most interested in just, I really want to get sort of to the heart of who you are uh, uh, as much as we can in 30 minutes. And um, well, and so what I would like is, hey, if we can't get it in 30 minutes, maybe there's a sequel someday that we can, <laughs> sure, that we yeah. can do to this. So yeah. maybe it'll be in person, you know. Um, One day, right. But I... I, I don't want to breeze by this, but I, I, you know, a couple big issues of the day. So first off, um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away. Um, 
I imagine by the time this airs, her her replacement candidate will be announced, um, you know, far and wide and will be in the throes of what I'm sure will be a very well-reasoned, unemotional, uh, uh, intelligent debate on the merits of (laughs) whether or not that person should be confirmed. Oh, I'm sure. And uh, unclouded by partisan or political considerations. Of course not. I know we are all doing very well getting along. (laughs) Um, Would you just, one of the things that I am curious about just from your perspective is from an observational standpoint, it's not very difficult to see that politics and science and faith are struggling to sort of mix peaceably um, in our society on, on multiple levels and on uh, multiple sides. Um, I just, I would love to hear your take on some of those things as, as a priest and as someone who invests in the hearts and the souls and, and, and the spirits of people. I'm curious, just your take on that in these yeah, days. I mean, it's not the most uh, sophisticated theological term, but it's a mess. And I think to me, it's very theological. You know, there's always been division in the country. There's always been division in churches all the way back to the time of, I mean, as you know, Peter and Paul. And and even before that, and the disciples used to argue. Uh, But I think that the fact that things are so politicized these days, one of the things and I know, I'm sure listeners disagree with it. But one of the things that astounds me still that is politicized is is the use of masks and social distancing and things like this. <laughs> That's true. You know, one would, one would think that simply listening to public health officials uh, would be a no-brainer and could not be politicized, but of course, one would be wrong. So it's a mess, and it, it, it makes people feel like they have to choose sides. And, you know, I've talked about this in, in light of um, whether or not I think uh, Catholic leaders should endorse people, which I don't think they should. I mean, you know, you can vote for whoever you want, sure. but I think it, it just divides things even more. And it's it's amazing to me how <laughs> anything can be political. And it's it's kind of yeah. sad because, you know, the gospel, of, of course, has some political implications. But the fact that things have to be, you know, traditional, progressive, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican are really kind of sad for me. Do you feel like it's well, it's so noisy currently yeah. um yeah good word it's, a, it's another good theological term it's very noisy <laughs> right. um it's like Noah on the ark noisy you know like it's <laughs> it's messy it's noisy i one of uh, my favorite theologians that that i've had the privilege to meet a few times frederick beekner the old uh, oh Presbyterian. my gosh amazing and and he um amazing there's a quote of his that i the paraphrase is um you know, a compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity to feel what it's like to be in someone else's skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, there can never, you know, we, we have to reach a point where there can never really be peace and joy for, for me until there's peace and joy for you too. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like it's more difficult, especially from a faith perspective in this climate um, and we can wrestle with with how we got to this climate all day long. I mean, there's a billion right. theories. Really, it doesn't matter. The challenge is, uh, do you feel like it's become more difficult for people to have sort of a daily practice of compassion for their for their neighbors? What a good question. I think it has been made more difficult. I think people are still compassionate, but I think 
Um, it's been made more difficult because the the neighbor, if the neighbor disagrees with you, uh, is seen as the other, mm. right? So I think, mm. you know, when I was growing up, I, I didn't know what, I mean, I, I was young, but I don't think people knew what political party our neighbors were growing up outside of Philadelphia. I, I mean, really, I don't think my parents knew right. that the people across the street were Republicans or Democrats. I think people would know now. And I yeah. think that makes it more difficult to reach out to them, which it shouldn't, because who cares if they're Democrats or Republicans? Mm-hmm. But it's become such a pitched battle that it may make it more difficult to uh, reach out. You know, you think about the the Good Samaritan story today, that would be about Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> right. You know, a Democrat was yeah. lying by the side of the road and three Democrats passed by and, oh, a Republican came, you know, or vice versa. And how yeah. surprising that would be. I think it does. I mean, you know, people are still trying to live the the gospel life, Christians, and trying to live a moral life, you know, but it is more difficult. And I also think that anything you say gets interpreted politically. In in terms of Catholicism specifically, since that's, you know, primarily your your universe these days, Might be, um, right. it, it, uh, in so many different <laughs> levels of who you are, yeah. um, which I would like to, to touch on that briefly, kind of like sure. how you even, well, I like what you, you know, say. Well, which is which is where you are these days. <laughs> wow! Like who knows? You know, I mean, uh, I, mean yeah. I, 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 I think it's going to continue for a long time. Do <laughs> you think so? You think I that think commitment so. that you made to the yeah, church well, is uh, going to last? <laughs> that's I hope. So. I hope so. Anyway, um, yeah. So, so go ahead. I'm sorry. But no, but just even within, you know, my, one of my uh, brothers uh, recently converted to Catholicism. He and his wife. Oh, wow. And um, one of your blood brothers. One of my blood. I'm wow, the oldest of eight okay. children. So there's seven brothers and one sister. I'm wow. the oldest, and she's the youngest. Um, yeah, for Baptists, like we were really trying to give our Catholic friends growing up a run for their money. Um, uh, just with having so many kids and, and we, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. So, so, uh, I think it's my fifth brother is uh, he wow. and his wife converted to Catholicism and wow. one, one for our side. Yeah. You know, well, you know, I don't know. We just, it depends on how long they can uh, keep that pew warm. Um, but it, when it comes to Catholicism, it's really interesting watching the discussion back and forth publicly about, um, you mentioned endorsing candidates, but even like, mm. well, if you vote for that candidate, you can't yeah. possibly be whatever. Right. And, you know, how, how do you navigate the find the peaceful center in such a tumultuous time? Well, it, it depends on who you are. Um, mm. I think for people who hear that and, and don't know any better, it might be really disturbing for them. So here, mm. here's Catholic teaching, which is, I, I'm sure, just basic Christian teaching. Yeah, it uh, is. The final arbiter of the moral life is your conscience, right? right. And that, that's yeah. where everything ends. And of course, to anticipate the objection, that means an informed conscience. So that means, mm. you know, you, you understand the Gospels and Jesus and what he's teaching. You understand church teaching over the centuries. I mean, you can't possibly know every single, you know, papal encyclical, but, you know, you understand in general what the church teaches. You look at the issues and then you make your decision. And there's no one candidate. I mean, you know, not to be I don't mean to be uh, disrespectful at all, but, you know, Jesus Christ is not running for office. You know, right. he is True. not. Yeah. Um, and and so there's no perfect candidate who's going to embody the whole gospel message or the whole Christian message or the whole Catholic message. You know, and the Democrat and Republican parties in some significant ways disagree with, uh, you know, Catholic teaching. So therefore, um, you know, it's up to the individual to use his or her own conscience, right? 
But, you know, so, you know, if you know that you can be at peace and you can say, well, you know, I'm looking at things and I'm a a good Catholic. I I understand what the church teaches and what the bishops are looking at. Sure. Now I make my decision. If you don't know that and someone comes at you and says you're going to go to hell for voting for either (laughs) Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And I've seen articles on both sides. Yeah. The sad thing is, uh, Matthew, it can be really um, it can be really uh, frustrating and frightening for people. Mm. Who who think that they're uh, doing making a mortal sin or going to hell? You know, as one priest said recently, yeah, for voting yeah. their conscience, and it's it really it can be disturbing for people. So one of the things I've been trying to do, without endorsing anyone, is really to remind people of that teaching. This is a this is a bedrock teaching, uh, and even bishop, even the U.S. Catholic Bishops Conference have come out and talked about that. I think mm. Pope Francis's line, he's usually very to the point. The church is meant to form consciences, not to replace them. Mm. That's the best way of looking at it. So it's a great line. It is a great, and it's true. I mean, you know, you have to respect the individual. Um, so yeah, so that's what I've been trying to help people understand as much as I can. Is it challenging? Because you recently prayed at the Democratic National Convention, um, which, and here's what's wild to me: your prayer is what twenty lines long. Very oh, yeah. simple. They gave me, they gave me forty seconds. <laughs> I yeah. God, I hope, I hope it got to heaven in time. Um, the, <laughs> what Jesus is like? Whoa, 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 hang on, we didn't, we didn't get. Can you do it again? <laughs> that's, that's pretty like, funny. <laughs> I never thought of that. Like just, just as he's starting to listen, I'm done. It's like, where'd he go? I thought he was what? praying. What? Wait, yeah. I didn't hear the first part. You barely, you barely. You know, it is funny. They initially said you have two minutes, and I said, well, I can, you know, I can, like you, I, you know, I can do a fairly good prayer in two minutes. And then they got back to me and said, oh, no, I'm sorry. It's it's two minutes for all three of you, for the rabbi, the imam, and you. Oh, my gosh. Thought, wow, that's that's going to be a challenge. So I just tried to keep <laughs> it as simple as possible. Yeah. I didn't it's even like, have a, you know, normally you start off with Lord. You, were, I just said, no, here we go. Lord, help us to do this. Mm. So, yeah, it's like, was he even one of us? I didn't even hear. <laughs> yeah, oh, so my funny. gosh. It's amazing how, like, you can compact all that. And yet, and yet. The prayer was so simple and there was so much profundity in the middle of it, Um, because if you're talking about um, sort of the spirit of Jesus who meets us so often in the margins, um, the ditches, um, the the roadsides where we're Mm -hmm. broken down and struggling, waiting, trying to figure out what the hell to do next, Mm -hmm. I... One of the, and I know there's, everybody went line from line, of course, and critiqued, you know, he talked about the unborn. Like, it's like this whole wild, as if it's some sort of profound, I, know. I can't believe he said that. But one of the things that that meant a lot to me personally um, was really the very final line um, where you simply said, where all are welcome. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, having a child with disability mm. who um, our society um, is not designed to welcome the most broken. Mm. We have done a terrible job historically at designing our communities um, and in, in large part, even our families, because I guess if you want to go really nuclear, we go all the way back to the home um, where our whole life. It's interesting. I have conversations about this pandemic with different people and they're like, I just there's just no answers and we can't figure out anything. And it's all when's it all going to end? And I was like, we've been doing this for 14 years with our son, Jude, which, by the way, he was named Jude before he was diagnosed. So wow. the 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 beauty of that, the patron saint of lost causes was yeah. not lost on us. 
because yeah. we, we didn't have it. We thought he was a girl. This is just an aside. This is for free. No, it's um, interesting. So um, we had all of our kids at home. <laughs> um, and the night Jude was born, the midwife was late. The pregnancy progressed really fast. She didn't make it in time. So I delivered him in our bedroom at our house. It was just the three of us for like 40 wow. minutes alone. Wow. And we thought up until that point, he was a girl. And so we had female names picked out. We did not have a name for a boy picked out. So Jude went three days without a name. And finally, someone said, what about Jude? And we loved it. And we named him that. And five months later, he was diagnosed with this um, rare disease. And what does he have, if I um, can ask? Sure. It's uh, called tuberous sclerosis complex. And it's essentially a, a deletion in the DNA um, that affects a protein that then causes you know, benign tumors to grow, uh, oh. primarily internally, uh, depending on the case. It's a very wide spectrum of cases, for, person to person, um, sort of like uh, COVID. Um, it doesn't always look the same for everybody. And so does that mean a lot of operations for him or? Well, um, he's had one major brain surgery just because we reached a point where oh. we just couldn't stop the seizures and there was no other option really. Oh, and, so um, and then at seven, we got him into a clinical trial um, that there's a medication now that um, is able to, I think it's also a cancer drug for certain types of cancer, but it shrinks or calcifies tumors um, in certain okay types of, of cellular makeups of tumors. And so for kids with his disorder, adults as, as well, um, it can be effective. So, um, you know, it, it just was an interesting thing of when the pandemic hit, it was like we were primed for the unknown of, you know, make uh, rearranging our life and seeing it differently. And when the whole world sort of erupts with this, I don't want to live like this. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to. And it's like, you know, I, when you look at the most vulnerable of us, which you mentioned a lot of them in your prayer, and then at the end, your your desire is that they would all be welcome um, right. amongst us in our communities of faith, you know, or elsewhere. I, what do you think it takes? And this is a big question, so you know, um, there's no prep on this. But what do you think it takes when you look out at these different marginalized people groups, whether they're uh, people with significant disabilities and special needs or, um, you know, different minorities or um, LGBTQ, whoever it might be, the unborn. Um, what do you think it takes um, to sort of re reimagine? I, obviously, there's no reset button, but in our societies, our families, our communities, uh, um, what do you think it takes to to create a place where all feel welcome? Well, you know, I actually know the answer to that question. And first of all, I want to say thanks for sharing that story. I'll, I'll pray for Jude. Oh, thank um, you. I have a statue of St. Jude on my dresser. Um, he was pretty much the yeah. first saint I ever prayed to. Really? Uh, yeah. Any, any significance to that? Um, basically, I saw an advertisement for, I tell this story in a book called My Life with the Saints. Mm -hmm. And the first, uh, the first chapter is called The Saint of the Sock Drawer, The Sock Drawer. <laughs> and I, I sent away for a statue of St. Jude at the St. Jude Shrine in Baltimore. I, on the, I was the back of a comic wow. book. And I thought, you know, when I was growing up, you're younger than I am. It was all about sending away for stuff, you know, and sending sure. a dollar and getting something back. Um, I'll show you the statue after we're finished. But, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll pray for your son to St. Jude. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, but to answer your question, I think the answer is uh, listening to stories listening mm. to these people's stories. So listening to a story like yourself, um, listening to your son's story 
listening to stories of LGBT people, migrants, refugees, uh, mm. because that's what really converts us. I mean, as you know, you know, when Jesus wanted to really teach, he told a story. He told a parable. Yeah. Yeah. So when they asked what the reign of God was like, he didn't say, well, the reign of God. And then he pulled out a PowerPoint presentation and said, the reign of God has it these 10 characteristics. Yeah, I don't, you know, yeah said, that wouldn't have worked me, out. Yeah, let me tell you, <laughs> right. Let me tell you a story about, you know, a grain of wheat uh, or a sower. And when he was asked, uh, who is my neighbor? He doesn't give five things that make a neighbor. Mm. You know, he told a story. And so, you know, the parables and, and Jesus' stories open up our minds. And I find that, especially in this work with, well, I would say two areas specifically. Um, I worked with uh, refugees over in East Africa. Mm. And you tell their stories and people, oh, my gosh, I never knew that. And, you yeah. know, they think refugees are lazy or whatever. Same with migrants. Uh, and then with LGBTQ people, you know, you, you tell their stories and people people get it. And so stories, really, it's it's not about arguments. It's about stories and people and, and encountering yeah. them as friends. Right? right. So the difference between, you know, let's say let's say a, a, a legislator or a pastor or a church leader who reads about a child with your son Jude's condition. Right. In the abstract reads about it right. and meets you and comes to your house and listens to you. It's it's like night and day. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's, you know that. So I think stories and we, but the thing is, which is difficult is we have to be open to listening. Yeah. Yeah. Which often we're not. <laughs> yeah. What is <laughs> it? The we've old, already, um, we've already written people off. The old uh, John Steinbeck quote, I think he, where he wrote, um, I wonder how often I've looked at people in my life and never actually seen them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, th- I think you're exactly right. Stories have always been, that's been something that sort of hung with me. Um, now, you know, I hearing the stories and encountering people as they are, you know, but then of course it, it's coupled with now we gotta go do the work. Now we gotta well, go do that's that's one reason we don't like to listen, because right. we don't like to be challenged. And mm-hmm. what would happen if you're someone who thinks that all migrants should be shut out and you hear a story about a woman who was raped and beaten and took yep. her kids from Honduras and you say, Well, of course I would do the same thing. Well, it's, it's hard to listen to that because that means you have to change your mind. I always like to say, too, that uh, Jesus is a kind of story. I mean, he's real, of course, uh, but he's a kind of story told by God. Uh, I heard this on a retreat once, which I love. When Jesus is asked, you know, what the reign of God is like, is like, of course, as you know, he tells, you know, wheat and all sorts of parables about sure. the reign of God. In a sense, when humanity asks God, what are you like? Uh, God gives us the story of Jesus. And Jesus, in a phrase that I really like, Jesus is the parable of God. Mm. Jesus is the story that God tells to let us know who he is. And so, you know, God could have come down as a book. I mean, we're so used to the incarnation. I mean, God could have done whatever God wanted to. And of course, we have the Old Testament. But God could have come down as this book and just said, here it is. Read this and that's it. But he comes down as a person. He comes down as a story for us to encounter, which which is just transformative. And I think stories Absolutely. will, I hope stories will save us, but we have, but you know, as in Jesus's time, we have to be willing to listen, mm. you know, like the gospel today, when we're talking is, you know, shake the dust off your feet if people don't listen and they didn't listen to Jesus. So yeah, um, just leave that town. Go. Yeah. Do you want to hear something funny? Have you <laughs> ever been to the, have you ever been to the Holy land? I haven't, I would love to, but I haven't yet. So I hope you at some point are able to go. Um, one of the things they tell you in the Holy land, which always makes me laugh is, 
there are many, many towns that are still around uh, from Jesus's time, right? Obviously, like sure, Jerusalem, sure. Nazareth, Bethlehem. I mean, they're all there. Tiberias, mm-hmm. Cana, even the smaller ones. Cana. <laughs> the three that he cursed, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida, are all ruins. <laughs> uh, well... I guess uh, <laughs> let that be a lesson to you, kids. Let that be. That's right. <laughs> woe, woe to you. <laughs> woe to you. Uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Are they renamed or are they generally just ruins? No, no. They're, I mean, they're, 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 you can go to them as ruins, basically. Capernaum is, mm-hmm. is sort of excavated. That's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, there, there are, you, you can see, believe it or not, you can see the first century synagogue where Jesus did all those miracles, right? The mm, man with, yeah, the, right. with the withered hand, the, the possessed man. It's incredible. There it is. Capernaum's, you know, the, there it is. Uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida are more just like, you know, they're, they're like ruins, kind of tumble down sort of stone houses and stuff. But you can go. Yeah. And uh, it is it is pretty funny. They told us that once and we were all like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Guy, you go through Capernaum, you're like, well, you guys had it pretty good before you went off the rails. And uh, yeah, Jesus well, passed down those curses. And interestingly, this is a side note, but interestingly, Capernaum, um, which, you know, as you know, is where which Jesus's home base of ministry in Galilee. Mm-hmm. No one really thinks about it. Uh, you know, we, it doesn't figure in our imagination. Right. I mean, there's there's no, you know, there's Bethlehem, PA, and there's Nazareth College. There's no there's no Capernaum, anything really or very much of it. And yet it's it was, you know, Jesus's home. Mark talks about it as his hometown. His hometown mm. is Capernaum. And one of the reasons is, which I find fascinating, is that it was it was there was an earthquake, you know, many centuries ago, and it was lost. And then it was buried. Mm. And so, uh, you know, when sort of Christian culture was coming, you know, into into flower, right? And you know, you have like medieval stuff and Renaissance paintings, and yeah, no one really wrote about it or prayed about it or painted pictures about it. And it was only discovered at the end, I think, of the 18th century. Again. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, 18th or 19th century. And it's weird because when you take pilgrims there, this is a big digression. No, it's really fascinating. I love this stuff. They're stunned because they said, wait a minute, wait, wait, this, this is, this is where he, this is where all those miracles happen. And you tick them off Mm -hmm. the healing of the possessed man, the man with the withered hand, Peter's mother-in-law, the bread of life discourse is there. Matthew's called from the tax collector's booth there. Uh, And they, and, and they're stunned. And it's because it's, it's never really been in their imagination. Right. It's just this town. And when mm. you go into the city, which I hope that one one day you will. Oh, I'm gonna. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge sign that says Capernaum town of Jesus. It's just amazing. Oh, that's funny. It that's is. really interesting. It's, just, it's amazing. So that's my yeah. that's my that's my ad for going to Capernaum. Well, I, at some point. I want to have some guests on that talk really about sort of religious history, because I'm super fascinated by the way, especially specifically when you're talking about like Abrahamic uh, belief systems in the, Mm -hmm. in, in sort of that now influence primarily in the West. But then Mm -hmm. I I also want to talk about some of those things that go further East um, at some point. I'm just fascinated by sort of the evolution of, you know, and, and the, and the, like I read uh, years ago, Bruce Feeler um, oh, yeah. uh, has yeah. the book Walking the Bible that yep. where it was amazing just to read about how he sort of even just with words unpacked all these different stories. And no, and it's all there. And you go, I, I, I wrote this book called Jesus of Pilgrimage, which was, uh, you know, basically it's it's a it's a life of Christ, but it's also taking the reader through all these different places. And you go there and you you get it. 
You know, mm. there's a there's a place near Capernaum called the Bay of Parables where he, you know, it, most likely preached the parables, you know, when he gets into the boat. And how do we know that? It's a really small space. So there's, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Magdala. It's it's very small. So right, if it didn't yeah. happen in this bay, it happened in the bay like 100 feet from here, you know. <laughs> yeah. And right. when you go, when you go, you see, it's amazing. You see there, not mm-hmm. not planted or not sort of, uh, you know, uh, artificial, rocky ground, fertile ground and thorny ground, big thorn bushes. And you say, this, the, when he was talking about the parables, he was talking about these things right here. Which mm. is really amazing. It's really yeah. amazing. Here it is. Here's the rock. Here's the That's one right. thing. Yeah. And, right. And not not like people who don't hear the word of God are like rocky ground. They're like that ground over there right behind you. You know, yeah. turn around. Yeah, there it is. I mean, and, and those things are so I that really kind of comes back to the idea of story of. Yes. You know, it's all there wasn't like some he wasn't talking about some invisible land somewhere. He's talking about the things that they're all. Exactly experiencing in the same space at the right. same and time. He's also talking and, about stuff that um that the, the Protestant scripture scholar CH Dodd says the parables are drawn from nature and common life. Mm. And he's not talking about, you know, I said this to a theology professor once, you know, he's not talking about these really abstract theological concepts, right? Sure. And um, you know, a little bit in John, of course, but in the synoptics he's not. And funny enough, my my professor said, yeah, and they wouldn't have listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. so you have these like yeah. peasants and agrarian people. They're not going to listen to some, but they're going to listen to someone who's talking about rocks and fish and birds and wheat. And yeah, it's just, it, it's just amazing being there. And it, and it's amazing too, when you think about sort of the, the Jesus stories of, it also occurs to me that they listened to him because he welcomed them. Oh yeah. He allowed yeah, them and- in. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, welcomed people who were seen as on the margins. So like the Samaritan woman, even mm-hmm. like the Roman centurion. Uh, and, and of course, you know, tax collectors, prostitutes, people were seen as sinful, uh, you know, all sorts of people. But he also challenged them, too. Um, I always say that uh, the movement for Jesus is uh, from the outside in. He's bringing people from the outside in on the margin. Mm-hmm. But he's also it's also from the inside out. He's pushing the disciples. You, you need to kind of encounter these people as well. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite stories is the story of Zacchaeus, which I love. Yeah, and yeah. you know my favorite line in there is when Jesus calls um, Zacchaeus down from the tree. For people who don't know, it's it's the it's the tax chief tax collector of Jericho. He's in a tree because he's short in stature. Jesus calls him down, and it says all who saw it began to grumble. Hmm. And we don't like that. We don't like nope. people being You're exactly right. And, I asked the scripture scholar, which I thought was fascinating. The the, the Greek is panta for, for all. Hmm. And he said that would include the disciples. <laughs> so oh, they're interesting. too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like yeah the, and my one of my favorite parts about that. Um, uh, and how, how are you doing on time? You have a few more minutes just for. Yeah, yeah maybe another five minutes. Okay. So uh, really, I, honestly, I, I, I want to talk to you about all these theological things, but there's a personal side that that's really fascinating. And this story brings it out. One of my favorite things about Jesus is he always ended up eating with people. Like there was almost this moment where I feel like a lot of the heart work, like he looked at Zacchaeus and said, I'm coming to your house. Like right now, get down, let's go. We're going to have a meal. 
Um, we're gonna break open some good wine. I'm just, I mean, yeah. I'm just making it up, but I definitely no, that's what I, I would have said. Very, I mean, Zacchaeus was rich, so he probably had some good wine. I, I man, I hope so. It'd be really disappointing, actually, if we find out later. <laughs> uh, but, but that's like I breaking bread. I, I think in this pandemic time, that's one of the things that I miss the most. Yeah, isn't it something? Is, yeah, is sitting across from 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 different people and. Right breaking bread together. And because I feel like there are things that happen around the table that just can't happen anywhere else. Well, and people have said, uh, you know, this table fellowship that Jesus engages in with people, which is was scandalous at the time. I mean, yeah. lepers and tax collectors. Yeah. By the way, another interesting point I read recently is that, which I loved uh, a few days ago was the feast of St. Matthew, by the way, happy feast day. Yeah, thank um, you. And the reading was the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. And I read this in a scripture commentary a couple months ago, which blew my mind which is that Jesus eats with tax collectors. They don't stop being tax collectors. Like Matthew leaves his tax collecting booth, but the other ones, they're not, they're still tax collectors and they're still seen as, you know, on the outs and he still eats with them. Yeah. It's an active tense. Yeah. What's that? Active tense. Like this is who they are. Right. They do. Right. And I think most people think, oh no, they, they all left behind their, 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 their terrible ways of being tax collectors and that, no. No, they're still Matthew leaves, but the rest of them are still tax collectors. So you can see why that would really annoy people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so, so in terms of that, then I on a on a personal note, what what is and this is frivolous as can be. No, but, I, but I love the frivolity of this because I think it also reaches deep you know, in certain moments. But when you break bread, when you go and you sit across from from, you know, friends old or, or new, strangers. Um, what's one of your favorite, you're in New York still? Oh, you, yeah. You yeah. tucked away in New York City and- Yeah, um, pretty much. But what's your, what's one of your favorite spots just to go and kind of have that meal? Um, You're going to laugh. Now, I'm, I'm a Jesuit, so I take about poverty. So I'm limited in where I can go. Uh, you're going to sure. laugh. There's a, there's a diner around the corner. Oh, it's uh, perfect. Classic New York diner right around the corner from I live next door to a church and and basically next to the church is a diner. And I love it. It's great. It's very simple. It's very cheap, which is good. Although as someone said you should you should say inexpensive, not cheap. But it's cheap. Whatever. You know, and I, yeah. I, I love seeing people there after mass and uh I feel more comfortable there than I do. I'm not just saying this, I do feel more comfortable than in a fancy restaurant because I'm you know I'm not supposed to be spending money. Um and that that to me that's more relaxing. But you're right. That that kind of table fellowship is that's you know that's 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 not coming back for at least a couple months I guess no what, I've what's, not been to that diner since February. What's your well, I, yeah? It's, so so it's funny. I haven't had a haircut since January. I kept thinking you know I'm just gonna you know I'm just gonna kind of and then it was like well fall's coming. Let's just see what happens. As long as I still have it, I'm gonna see. Let's just let it go. That's um, very looks very Jesus like. Well, that's what I'm that's what I'm going for. I right. uh, you know so maybe. One day I'll be mistaken. We'll see what happens. Um, if we do, I'll just go pull somebody out of a tree and go to their house and we'll talk about spiritual things. Right. But the, and demand and demand some good wine. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, listen, I'm not coming unless you open that cellar up. That's um, so funny. I so this podcast, I was trying to I was wrestling with the name of it. And so I called it Better Sex, S-E-C-T-S. Because my hope is that long term. And I I know that um that has multiple, I, I hope that it's provocative enough on some level that people, it, it sort of piques attention. Sure. But ultimately, my goal is I want to find a way 
for us as as humans sort of chasing after um god or, or faith or you know whatever it is just trying to figure out how to love people better how do we have better sex how do we create that world so i i think that's going to be my final question on each of these podcasts is to whoever the guest is how do we have better sex so that's my question to you to close today what's your take uh, on be, that i'll be clear that the answer that the question is Sex as an S E C T S S E C T S, um, and it's only going to well, be S E C T S on everything I put out. Always, I would. I know. I know. I would say by listening to one another. Mm. I think. I think that that is essential. And you know, in the Jesuits, uh, we have this. It's not the most original thing. It comes from San Ignatius. Uh, it's called the presupposition, which is you're always willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. Mm. And so, if you, you know, if you. You always give people the benefit of the doubt. If you don't understand it, ask what they mean, right? Mm. Uh, and then always try to try to always put a plus sign on things. But I think it's listening. I think it's really listening to where people are coming from, what their fears yeah. are, what their hopes are. You know, so for example, to, to you know, put it back into your own life, sure. uh, for me to understand what you are going through with your son is not me going online and reading an article about it, however erudite it might be mm. it's listening to you seeing your son talking to you accompanying you and that's that's how we that's how we grow to love one another i think listening and loving are really connected when i and, and this is what jesus shows us yeah. you know when he he when he meets people like the roman centurion or uh bartimaeus the blind beggar or mm. the woman at the well or zacchaeus you notice he talks to them yeah. So he, he's not just like, here I am, I'm going to cure you, which he could have done, right? <laughs> so the course. story of Bartimaeus, which I love, you know, we're all blind in some way. Sure. Um, you know, with Bartimaeus, he doesn't, I mean, Bartimaeus is sitting by the side of the road. He said, son of David, have pity on me. Mm. Jesus could have just gone up, healed him, the end. Yep. But he says, as you know, what do you want me to do for you? Mm. He, he, he listens to him, which I think is so beautiful. And look, if Jesus can do that, so can we. Absolutely. Um, where can people find your stuff to, to kind of follow what you're, how you're teaching and, and sure. um, content? I, I want to be able to point sure. the way to you. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm on social media on Facebook under Father James Martin, SJ, which stands for the Society of Jesus. I'm on Twitter and Instagram under James Martin, SJ. Um, and, you know, given what we've been talking about today, uh, some of my books are Jesus, a pilgrimage, which is the life of Christ. Uh, my life with the saints, which is about, you know, my relationship with the saints. And I have a new book coming out, uh, which I'm working on right behind me called Ooh. learning to pray. That's coming out in February. So can, yeah, we, um, can we talk about prayer next time in that uh, yeah, way? I'd be happy to, you know, it'd be even better is when we, when the book comes out, I'd be even more happy to talk about well, it. Let's do that. And <laughs> I'd be what we can to. do, let's pray that we can record it in person and and we'll go eat at your diner from your lips to god's ears <laughs> it really is it really really is oh well father martin thank you so much for chatting today i'm so grateful and um I, i'm excited to to meet you and i'm looking forward to maybe one day when we get to meet in real life and uh thanks, thanks for your for words today me. thank you my pleasure i hope you enjoyed this episode of better sex if you liked or were challenged by what you heard, you can subscribe to the Sex Therapy List on my website, bettersex.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-S-E-C-T-S.com. 
You can follow us on all social platforms on the handle at BetterSex. And please like and share this episode with anyone you think would appreciate the conversation. Once again, I'm your host, Matthew Chambers. We'll see you next time for another episode of Better Sex. Better Sex.